Radio Life Sciences podcast for a behind-the-scenes look into GSLS, made by students and educators for the scientists of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Radio Life Sciences. This time our guest, Professor Ellie Hall, will talk about her job at the UMC and especially the work as a principal investigator in the Department of Translational Neuroscience. Ali is one of the female researchers who paved the way for the current generation of women in science. If you're curious how an advanced scientific career looks like, or you're specifically interested in the work of a PI, stay tuned to learn something about it. Hello, Ellie. How Hi. are you? I'm fine, Susanna. Great. Uh, what time did you start your work today? Today? Yes. Oh, really? At five o'clock in the morning. Oh, really? <laughs> really. Is that a typical time for you to start your work yeah, day? Yeah, normally I started at six, but over the last few weeks at five because it's very busy and I'm, I'm a morning person, so uh, I work better in the morning, but I will go to bed quite early, between nine and 10. So I work until 6.37 and then I'm going home. You were saying that you're working 12 hours, yeah. still getting some sleep. Yes, I sleep very well, yes. But this is not a very good example, right? I mean, it's okay, yes. <laughs> well, we want to have a realistic okay. view on your job, so that's good that you're open about it. And could you maybe share with us your positions at UMC, at UMC only, because I, I know that you also work in many different places. Yeah, yeah. But what are you currently doing at UMC? What I'm currently doing, so I have quite some different roles. So I'm the head of the Department of Translational Neuroscience. I'm manager education for the Division of Neuroscience, meaning managing education. But I am responsible for all education in the Department of Psychiatry, Neurology, Neurosurgery, Translational Neuroscience and Rehabilitation Sciences. So it, it's a new role that I, I think I'm doing that now for two or three years. So I do not have to really coordinate the education, but I have to make sure that everybody in all the departments have sufficient time to spend on education and if there is any issue then I also have to solve that. So um, it's indeed a managerial position? Yeah, yes, it's okay. a managerial position and then I'm director of the, the Master of Neuroscience and director of the PhD in Neuroscience. And I'm a principal investigator. Of right? course, yes. <laughs> and uh, you have quite extensive experience in this role, am I right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Seven years now mm. or eight? Yeah, here, but I'm, I'm a principal investigator. When I start, I think five years after my PhD, that's a long time ago, that is not here at the UMCU, but I'm a PI already for a long time. My career is really in research and not mm -hmm. in education, but education and research really belong together. So at the true. moment that you are really um, the forefront of research, you also know what you need to teach the students so that they are also know of all the new developments in the field. Do you enjoy your work as a principal investigator? Yes, uh, very you... much. Yeah, I get a lot of energy from that, talking to the young people and also talking to my PhD students, yes. Do you get inspired by people you work with? Do you see that they have new ideas? And... Yeah, 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 I get, get very excited when I, get, uh, when I see new data and when people are also excited about that. So I really, I really like that, yes. So how, how did you prepare for that role? Did you even plan for it? No, or... I did not. No, no, I did not. I, I just I started uh, biomedical sciences because I didn't want to become a medical doctor and I was very interested in sciences. So that was the mm -hmm. in-between route. And then at that time, 
when I finished my studies, which was in 1990, I started as a PhD student, which was the most logical Path, next step, yeah. right? Because at that time I could also go to pharmaceutical industry, but I, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to go this commercial route. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to continue in science. And I always like that. I'm always, I mean, I'm always uh, reading. I'm always like thinking about new experiments and, and trying to reorganize the lab and all those kind of things. So that's something that I've always liked to do. Yeah. So would you say that you are passionate about research and you have this initiative uh, in you? Yeah, I think but, so, yeah. And do you think that is the quality of a principal investigator? You need to have a, an extremely large intrinsic motivation, mm -hmm. constantly motivate also yourself, but to continue to read and talk to people and be in, get in, how do you say that, get up to date on the literature, but also think about experiments. It's very important, uh, in my opinion, to know what's happening in the field. And yes. uh, by, by reading, I know that um, you can get really inspired and like the question can pop out in your, in your head. Uh, how do you control all those questions that can <laughs> appear in your head when you want to just know everything? I, I have to <laughs> say, I don't know. I'm always trying to make, uh, uh, think about different, uh, how do you say, systems to make notes. So far, I have still not find the most optimal one. So I'm using my laptop, I'm using uh, books and write it down. I'm using different systems and somehow it's, it is still in my head. So uh, the only thing that I can say is that the important things I, I simply remember. And of course, I make notes also when I'm at meetings, I make notes. And that's something that I can read back now on my computer. But when I read, I'm reading papers, I'm always trying to think about how to store them. And should I make remarks in my PDF? And where do I leave my PDF? And which system to use? And I have so far not found them the ideal system, I have to say. So it's somewhere in my head. It's it's difficult when you have this amount of information yeah. and then you have to be just so systematic. It's always but easier just to do another search in PubMed than to yeah. look back in your old PDF files, for instance. I, yeah, yeah. I, I believe that's true. Yeah. And the technology is really changing the way we're processing yeah. the information. But that's actually quite helpful for the students, I believe, that even you, with such an extensive experience, you're still struggling with some yeah, small every things. Every day, yes. yes. <laughs> I have many That's... electronic devices and trying to find the most optimal one, but so far... Not yet. That's no. that's surprisingly uplifting. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Maybe you could tell a little bit about your first time you got the offer to actually become a principal investigator. Ah. Did you apply for the no. job or <clears throat> how did it happen? I did my PhD, then I went abroad for a postdoc two years. So I worked at the Max Planck Institute and there I really learned to be independent and to fight for my own research and to really think about the things that I wanted to do next. And then I started writing grants very early and people told me uh, that it would be good that I did that. And I just the first thing I wanted to do is after two years to go back to the Netherlands. And I wanted to come back to Utrecht because there I did my uh, PhD, but that grant application failed. But then uh, networking is extremely important. So the people in Utrecht knew that I was looking for a position and they had contact with people in Amsterdam. And then I got an email, I think, or maybe a telephone call that they were looking for a postdoc with molecular biology exper experience, but mm -hmm. interested in neuroscience. And then I started as a postdoc in Amsterdam at the Brain Institute, at the Netherlands Institute for Neuroscience, it's called now. I was actually quite lucky because we had within 
two years a science paper. And then that helped me a lot with applying for funds and getting so writing grants and getting money in so that I could start hiring PhD students. And because I was successful in that, and of course I did that together with my supervisor at that time, but because I was very successful, I started building my own small group. And then, yeah, somehow I got from postdoc, I got a permanent position and then I could start my own group. So I never applied to become a principal investigator at that time. It was more like a natural yeah. uh, order. And that's sometimes that's very often happening. So that mm -hmm. you start somewhere and that you are very successful and then either can continue to build your own group or that you then look around and see where there is a possibility. And I think the PI positions right now, they are much more advertised than at that time. Um, so now people really if you look on the internet, you can find PI positions. So not so many, but then you can apply. Yeah, you can go for an yeah. actual interview for yeah. this position. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So at that time, that was not the case. So I went I for see. an interview to get this postdoc position, but mm -hmm. then in this case, I could simply ex yeah extend and expand because I got uh, was successful in grant in obtaining grant money, and then I could grow in this position. But nobody taught me how to do that. Do that. Nobody taught me about managerial things that you also have to do if you're a principal investigator. So um, I think that's much better now because now you can get courses in that also even as a, as a graduate student, I think. So about time management or about being a, a supervisor for somebody or about leading your finances, I, I had no clue. Yeah, but this is really needed. It's indeed a managerial position and it's comparable to leading a small company, a it small is. business. Yeah, yes, yes, for sure. Uh, yeah. And usually people do not have this experience no. or they're not taught, so they have to learn the hard way. You have to be a bit entrepreneurial, I think, because it's like, uh, it, it feels like your own company. Of course, it's not, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm paid by, by, in this case, the UMC, but that's why I say you need to have this high intrinsic motivation because it feels like your own work and if I'm not doing well then my my research will not move forward and yeah. I, I, I my group will get smaller and smaller mm -hmm. and then I have to it's like a small company yes you have but, to keep it going yeah and then you need also to have all the information about finances and of course there, there's help from controllers but you also have to understand how it works and that's sometimes quite complex and here we are circling back to writing grants as you will hear a quite important part of being a principal investigator. So you learned how to write grant applications in Germany? Yeah, I just I just started doing it myself. I okay. never had a course. And is it complicated? Because I personally don't really know what this process entails, how it exactly looks like. It is, I think you learn it by doing and by mm -hmm. talking to other people that are successful in obtaining grants. And nowadays, I mean, if, if a postdoc in our department is writing a grant, we also help and give advice. It's important to talk to other people. Never try to do it by yourself. Always talk to other people. I think that's uh, the most important piece of advice. So you have to have your own idea about, about what you want to do. There needs mm -hmm. to be an opportunity, right, to, to be able to write a grant. And there needs to be an open call, for instance, from uh, NWO or Zon MW. And then you have to think about what you would like to do and then talk to other people as well. So it's a little bit of a teamwork there. It is, yeah. yeah. So it, it is it's a teamwork, but also you need to have the best information so that your chances to get the money 
will also increase. So if mm -hmm. you try to do it by yourself, it will be very difficult. And the more senior people have also reviewed grant applications and, and they know exactly what works and what will not work. But let's say if I'm, so I'm also in, um, uh, I'm also the chair of the scientific advisory committee of Alzheimer Nederland. And we have to um, review about 60 grants and also I have to review that. So if I have to go through 60 grant applications, I try to read them in detail, but of course, I mean, if somebody is writing very complex and I, I keep losing track, then I will have much difficulties in understanding what the person wants to do, and then this person will get a lower grade. So if you have the experience, how it feels like, then you can give an advice to people, be very clear in the beginning, make it very logical, don't mm -hmm. make it too complex, those kind of things. Is writing grants a big part of being a principal in Yeah, I'm always writing grants. <laughs> Constantly. Constantly, yes. And how, how many grants do you apply for in a year, for example? Five, six, seven, something like that, depending on whether there's an open call. But every open call that fits with my research, I will go for it. Okay, so yeah. you don't lose any opportunities. Yes. Writing a grant takes a little bit of time. Yes. Besides writing, what else do you do in your daily uh, work? Yeah, it, it has, of course, a lot changed a lot. Eh? So in the beginning, I was mainly working in the lab and then writing papers and writing grants. So I could fully focus on that work. But now I have a lot of managerial duties and I have many uh, meetings during my day, as with you, mm -hmm. but also with many people. And therefore, I, I need like a few hours to work on grants, to read papers, to, to go through manuscripts of my PhD students. And therefore, I need to start early or work late because during my day, I try to block like parts of my day, but almost always somebody, something comes in between and yeah. then I only have half an hour and half an hour I cannot write a grant. So I'm writing a lot during weekends, writing and reading. So all the writing, reading, is in those early hours or during weekends. So me, when people cannot bother you. <laughs> yes. That used to be different. Eh? So when you are in your early stage, then you also do it during your daytime. But now it's only in those hours. Yes. Uh, so you, you mentioned your free time. Yeah. And that you are reading and <laughs> writing in your free time. Yeah. What else do you do in your free time as a um, such a busy person? Oh, I do a, I do, uh, I, I do sports, but now, of course, now it's difficult, but I play water polo. I hike, I read books, I cook, I walk my dog, so a lot of things. Your day still has 24 hours, yes. as everybody else's. Yes. That's really impressive. Yeah. Is it sometimes difficult to do what you're doing? I like it a lot. So it's not a big problem for me to start early. It's not a big problem for me to read a lot and to write a lot. Uh, sometimes what I do not like is all the things that I have to write for instance a report i have to write a report about the things that are going on in the lab because i know it's something that that you have to do because people want to keep track let's say a funding agency really needs you to tell them what you did it's really important but it's not the thing that i like the most so all the red tape all the bureaucracy let me put it like that that's not what i like nice thing about this job is that you always have new people coming in there's always working with young people there's a lot of interactions with people, there's a lot of international uh, contacts, uh, normally also a lot of traveling, but uh, yeah, last year of course not, but normally I'm, I'm going all over the world, having meetings, but then also 
giving presentations, talking to other scientists, talking about other opportunities for science, but also reviewing, uh, so go to redo uh, reviewing for the European Union or the reviewing for other organizations. So there's a lot of international, a big international component. And that's also what I like. And that's what I'm missing now the last year. So all the international contacts, all the energy that you get from um, conferences. I mean, I, I do not get it when I'm sitting behind my computer with Zoom or with Teams. So that, that's a problem, I think, now. Yeah, it's it's completely yeah. different. I think it's more accessible to many people when it's yeah. online. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, the spark of getting to know people and see yeah. them yeah. Is, is gone. Yeah. So do you consider yourself an outgoing person? Yeah, like I think I am, yes. Because if a person is not extroverted, it can be quite tiny. But I used to be very shy. I don't know. Some, at a certain moment in time, it changed. I don't even remember when, but... Uh, so I, I'm not shy at all at this moment. And I'm really, sometimes I, I should think a bit longer before I say something. <laughs> but I, I, I don't mind any, I don't anymore, I have to say. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was younger, I could really feel very bad that I said something which might not have been the best thing to say at that moment. But now I, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a quality of just getting older yes. and, and not caring anymore that no. much. I do care, of course yeah. I do care, yeah. but it's not that I that I I, I will um, I have no problem sleeping at night when mm -hmm. I have said something <laughs> stupid, but I I did have that problem when I was a PhD student. Then I was really like, oh, do people really like me or did I do this right? I mean, but but you learn to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you you don't have a life anymore. Yeah. I think. That, that's hopeful, yeah. but it, it passes at some point. Yeah. So you mentioned a lot of pros of being yeah. a PI and doing your, your job. Um, what's wrong <laughs> with this position? What would you change if you could or what um, you don't like about this job? Is there anything? I think it's very difficult for me to say. What I, I think, what I feel is very difficult for me is how to support the younger scientists so that they stay in science and that they have the the uh, the energy to continue to try until they have a permanent position because getting the permanent positions are very very is very difficult and i always tell people that they should continue as long as they really enjoy it but if they if they are not enjoying it anymore they should look for other opportunities and you should be open to move around the world, right? You can mm -hmm. work everywhere in the world. I think that's the main, I think that's sometimes very tough. That you know that the person is very good in science, but that there is no position for this person. So you would like to just be able to help people and not always it's, possible. That's not always possible. Mm -hmm. And that's also, I think, the, the, the difficulty in this job, that it's not, there are not all logical steps, right? It's not that if you do a PhD and a postdoc, you become an assistant professor, an associate professor. It's like a pyramid. So mm -hmm. at every stage, only a few people will make it to the next stage. And there are people that, of course, I think all of them enjoy their job, but also willing to put in many hours. And that is what some people do not like, I think, because they really want to, of course, have sufficient time also for their private life and, and keep it separate. I think for many scientists, of course, it's separate, but it also is how do you say, intermingling, right? Mm -hmm. Because I also have friends in science. The number of hours I put in is not that I have to put them in, but I want... So it's science becomes your life. 
Yeah, I think basically. so. Yes, yes. Maybe for some people, the workload would be a disadvantage of this type yeah. of job. But if you if you really like it, then you enjoy almost everything. Yeah, I, it's really because I also feel that of course you should be able to do your work in thirty six hours or forty hours a week. But if you really like it, and if you're really very uh, enthusiastic about it and motivated then you put in more hours which is okay as long as you feel right right mm -hmm. i mean if you if you don't feel good about that you should not do it but if there are people in the world that are willing to do it they will almost always be the ones that bring in the grant money that write more papers simply because they put in more hours and that's sometimes not fair that's works how it in works, science yeah. right i believe that's how it works in most of the professions the more hours uh, you yeah put. i think more that's why it also looks a bit like your own com small company yeah. because i think people that are that have th their own company they know how it is thank you it's really nice to see that you're so enthusiastic about this job We, we just exhausted the time for the main part, so yes. for the oh. uh, job questions. And now we are coming into the questioner of Marcel Proust. Yeah. And this questioner is supposed to reveal your true nature to us. Okay. So uh, please tell us whatever comes into your mind first. Uh, so first question, what are your favorite qualities in a person? It's honesty and being and people that really also are willing to tell me that they're not feeling well about something. So, so true honesty, and so open people. It makes it definitely easier to work with such people yeah. if they're open. Yeah. And what do you dislike the most? <laughs> people that are not open. <laughs> it's not disliking, but I think it's, it's, it makes life sometimes very difficult if people do not trust you mm -hmm. enough to be really open. And, and, and I don't like judgmental people. And what is your most marked characteristic? What do you think? Of me? Yes. I think this is very difficult for me to answer. I think I'm direct, quick, <laughs> t talk a lot, <laughs> easy to approach, those mm -hmm. kind of things. That's what I think, yeah. Maybe you wouldn't agree necessarily with that, but you're definitely hardworking. So. Yeah, okay. But I don't, <laughs> it doesn't feel like hard work. I, that's what I thought, that you didn't mention that, that quality. So the fourth question, if you could talk to anyone who lived before you, who that person would be? Yeah, I, I know two people and that are two females in science. One is Marie Curie, that mm -hmm. would be really great to talk to. And there is a, a woman, her name is Elise Junius. And she mm -hmm. was the first GLIA researcher in the Netherlands, actually working in this department. Really? And I did some research about our history and I would like to talk to her to see how how she was doing in life. So I discovered her two or three years ago because I got a very old PhD thesis from my supervisor in Germany. It was a Dutch thesis. And I started reading that thesis, I think 15 years after I, I got it. So I never opened it, but uh, during Christmas I started reading and then her name was in there. And I've never heard about a female GLIA researcher in mm -hmm. the Netherlands. And I started searching for her and she has published 14 papers on GLIA by her own in Utrecht. She never did her PhD and she was the second wife of a professor in psychiatry and neurology here in Utrecht. And I, w I would be really curious to, to talk about how she how she was dealing with her scientific life, yeah. And what times uh, was she living? It was 1930s. 
I see. So uh, Rudolf Magnus time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> She <laughs> was from the same from the same history. But you know about Rudolf Magnus, and we know about her husband. And now I've forgot his name because I'm very bad in names. But nobody has heard that's her. I mean, there have a picture of her there. Oh, I see. Yeah. The photo Eddie pointed at depicts Elise Winkler Unions as an older woman with her as white as her lab coat. She's leaning over a microscope, clearly focused on the specimen in front of her. If you're curious how exactly the photo looks like, visit the podcast website in the GSLS study guide. And I'm writing a paper about her together with a historian, but that's that's very slow, slow progress, yeah, yeah. But that's very inspiring. That yeah, a woman was. Yeah, I was. I was really surprised. Mm -hmm. I thought a woman, and and she really has very nice papers working on tumors, working on Alzheimer's disease or dementia, working on stroke. The same things that I'm yeah. doing. So that's why I was very surprised. And she might actually be the first CLIA researcher worldwide, but I'm not sure about that. So I'm mm -hmm. also looking for that. That would be really interesting to know, but yeah. I I don't know if we are able to ever find out about well, well, it. I don't know. So we have a couple more questions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> your favorite occupation or what do you enjoy doing the most? So, yeah, of course. Talking that's to young people. <laughs> no, yes. I like this. I like interacting. I like giving lectures also for in big lecture halls. I, I, I thought I would be very terrified doing that. But the first time I did that, I really liked that. And I like to talk about career perspectives of people, but also about science. So that's what I really like, yeah. Teaching in a lecture hall is more of a passive way of of learning for students, For students, right? yeah, yeah, but also for conferences, I mean. Eh? So that's mm -hmm. also for, with big lecture halls. Yeah, for students, it's very passive, yeah. So, so do you prefer that or actually daily supervision of working with PhD students? Oh, I, I like both. It's totally different. Um, but it's nice also to get to learn the master students that are doing an internship in my mm -hmm. lab. Um, but that is also now a bit more difficult, although I see people, but mainly online, but it would be ni it's nice to interact and to learn to know the people. And I think for the students, it's very good because it's the beginning of your scientific network, right? So that's the way how to build your network. Yeah. yeah. What was your biggest fear? Uh, when you were a graduate student? Giving talks. <laughs> so I was really, I was the first time I had to give a talk for the department where I did my internship. I called in because I, I told them I was ill. I was so, so, so nervous that I thought I could never do that. And now I don't, I do really do not mind at all. So that's why I'm saying you, you will learn by doing. Mm -hmm. So I was extremely nervous for that. So you, um, you had a stage uh, fright. I don't know whether it was stage fright, but I, my English was not very good at that mm -hmm. time. And um, I, I didn't have very good examples. And in the groups, it was differently than it was now. I would think I was the only PhD student. And then I had to present. And you didn't have PowerPoint, but I had these sheets that I had to write with a uh, marker. With a, with a marker. Mm -hmm. So I was extremely... Uh, I did not like it at all, but I grew into that, and now I don't mind. If you ask me to give a lecture now, I will do anything you. You you, you got ask desensitized. Me. Yeah, 
but also technology probably helped a little bit. PowerPoints makes, really help, yeah. It makes it easier. Because yeah. I never thought, because in a long time ago when I went to conferences, I always saw these, these people looking at their slides just like a few minutes before they, before they would give a lecture. And I thought I would never do that. And I'm now also doing that with PowerPoint. Just at last moment changes yeah. and things like that. So you really got rid of that anxiety. Yes. Okay, last question. <laughs> what is your motto? What is my motto? Well, you yeah. should have asked me that before. <laughs> Just not give up. Just continue and be happy and not give up. Very important one. It yeah. also relates to what you said about the students. They, they were keeping going uh, yeah. uh, in situations. But also follow their dreams, right? So if, if being a scientist is not for you because you don't want to put in those hours, it's totally okay to go into another direction. And if you tell people that early, then also those people can help you because they hear about opportunities at, uh, for instance, uh, NWO or any other place, and then they can help you. That's why I say you should be open. If you're open, or not should be, but yeah. if you are open and if you tell about what you really want to people that are in positions that get a lot of information, then they can really help you. So if you're open, then you have a higher chance of following your dreams and getting your opportunities. I think so. Thank you. Um, thank you for your honest answers. <laughs> so every podcast, we would like to finish with a book recommendation. Oh, Sometimes yeah. it's a movie recommendation. Yeah. Um, so then could you please tell us what would you recommend to our listeners? and, and why? Yeah, I have one book that I read two years ago. It's about the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks. Mm-hmm. Don't know whether you've heard about HeLa cells. Yes. Yes, everybody has heard about that. So these are cells from a tumor of a black woman and her name was Henrietta Lacks and uh, at that time people were trying to get uh, immortalized cells so that they could do experiments in the lab and it worked out with cells from her tumor and nowadays um, and they never asked her they never asked her for permission so every lab in the world has cells of this person I think the amount of cells in weight is, I don't know, 100 times more than the weight that she has as a person. Her family found out, and of course they, uh, it would be really weird if you know that cells of your grandmother are everywhere in yeah. the world. And it's a really an interesting book, it's very nice to read, but also about how her cells changed science. Because, because of her cells, we could do a lot of molecular biology and a lot of other in vitro techniques. And it's so comparable then, right? It's really, yeah, it's not only neuroscience, it's about biomedical science, yeah. I think, in general. And it's written by, an, an, um, yeah, her name is Rebecca Skloot. I think it's from 19, not from 19, 2019. And I really enjoyed reading it. And she, she uh, wrote it in a very enthusiastic way, but it's also about Yeah, you can really relate to it if you're working in, in a lab. Mm-hmm. But it's also about ethics and about... Because this was a black woman going to, a, um, I think, a hospital somewhere in the United States where people simply took a piece of her tumor and then... Started using it. Started using it without even asking her. So that's mm-hmm. really uh, something that you... Nowadays, you cannot do that at all, of course. At all. So that also started all the ethical thinking. So that's a very important read for. Uh, I I would I I enjoyed it a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, and it's uh, and I, of course I already I, I heard about Hila cells already for a long time. But it's 
incredible to think that every lab, every biomedical student in the world knows about these cells and people are using these cells very actively and these cells are very, very, very old. But yeah, yeah, and there is a person. And there's a person. Yeah. There's a backstory. And there is a story of, yeah. of the of this. Of course, it was a terrible tumor, and she did not survive. But there's a so this this book is about her story. So the the writer went to her family, and then they they yeah then the whole story unfolds. But it's really really very nice to read. Thank you very much <laughs> for this recommendation. Um, we have to wrap up at this point. Uh, but thank you for um, being with us today and sharing your uh, point of view and um, piece of your career. So it was you. a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. We would like to thank Professor Ellie Hall for joining our podcast to talk about her job as a principal investigator. Now we know that this profession is associated with a lot of grant writing, meetings and very fulfilling tasks. As you heard, although this job may seem demanding, it is definitely stimulating and can be very eventful, especially when traveling is possible. That said, we hope that this interview satisfied your curiosity with regard to this career path. This episode was brought to you by Zuzanna. Thank you for listening. Radio Life Sciences